Hello? Hello? Hello, Drew. Yes, it is. John Travolta here. You don't know how long I've been waiting to hear those words, John Travolta. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, really. Like A lot of radio people would probably lie to you, but I'm not, I was just talking to my associate, John Senning, and I said, I don't think that there's an actor that I have grown up with and respected and followed along as much as you, and it is a tremendous honor to speak with you in advance of the meet and grease this Saturday at the Tampa Amphitheater. Oh, Drew, man, you're making my day. I love hearing that. Thank you. Well, hey, you've made my life. Oh, man, I can feel your sincerity. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, no problem. Uh, I don't know how... I don't know how much time we have with you, so you you tell me when you need us to wrap it up because we are at your mercy, sir. Whatever you need, Drew. You've you've already won me. You had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll put you down for three hours, John. <laughs> uh, you had me at Vin- you had me at Vinnie Barbarino. Um, I was a young kid in Framingham, Massachusetts. My parents loved the show. They were more into Gabe Kaplan, of course, and I was more into the Sweat Hogs. I could relate to Horseshack a little bit as a little kid because I was somewhat of an ooh ooh myself, but. <laughs> But there, there was no one more suave nor debonair than the sweat hog by the name of Vincent Barbarino. How did you land that role, and did you know that that would be the first of many iconic and seminal roles that you would play in American film history? Well, first of all, um, you know, I was hoping for a good future uh, based on that role, but I could have never predicted the magnitude that, that happened uh, after that but um we did view my manager and i at the time did view Vinny as a as a good blueprint and a stepping stone for for the film industry uh and and it turned out to be such you know because right from there i went to carrie and then i did boy in the plastic bubble and then saturday night fever and grease and urban cowboy and those roles uh really started uh with Vinny, you know uh and so I'm forever grateful for that initial opportunity that you were a little boy watching. Um, you know, you, you and your 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 age group was the ones that made that uh, were the ones that made that uh, successful. Well, you know, John, the thing is, I don't know if you get the credit that you deserve for shaping American males of that age, because we did grow up with you. I mean, Vinny was the epitome of cool, even, I dare say, and no offense to the great Mr. Henry Winkler, but even more so than Arthur Fonzarelli, uh, because he had that kind of creepy hanging out with high school kids in the bathroom vibe to him. There was nothing creepy about Vinny Barbarino. All he would do is like, up your nose with a rubber hose, you know? That was, there was nothing, nothing creepy about that. <laughs> so he was one of you guys, that's for sure, meaning that he was one of the his own group and uh, he was uh, he was a uh, you know a, a cool guy but also quite naive and uh innocent in a lot of levels which made him hilarious because you know um that's where the humor came from him sometimes being dumb you know uh or or at least remedial Right, remedial better way to put that. Probably, I would never call uh, the great Barbarino dumb, but may- maybe a little remedial when compared to the button-down sensibility of one Gabe Cotter. There you go, yeah, relativities. I, I love it. Yeah. So then we move on from Vinnie Barbarino, and you're going to have to help me out here because 
I was in Larchmont, New York, where my grandparents lived, and my grandmother would love to take us to the movies. Now, I'm not sure that I remember this correctly. Was there a PG version of Saturday Night Fever and an R version of Saturday Night Fever? Correct. There were two versions, and it was Michael Eisner, who was the president of Paramount at the time. He said, I love John's performance, but the young people are not allowed to see this movie, and I want to do a version where they can get to also see this uh, this performance. So it was really Michael that that uh, that explored the the PG version, and he was very smart because he got a whole other you know audience with it, uh, and they double featured it in the summer with Greece. So the, the the young people that got to see Greece also got to see the PG version of Saturday Night Fever. And that leads me perfectly into... Oh, they were different, but I'll tell you, that's where I was exposed to you in two different roles in the same day, and here's where it gets even more magical, because my grandma takes us right up in the Larchmont Theater to go see Saturday Night Fever PG version and Grease, obviously PG version, because that's the only version. So she, we see both movies, and I'm blown away. I'm like, oh my God, Vinny Barbarino <laughs> is is strutting, and there's the music of the Brothers Gibb, and who doesn't love that? And then Grease comes along and blows me away. All of a sudden, musicals are cool, and Grease lightning, and there's some dirty words, which at 8, 9, 10 years old, I'm, I'm loving that, John. And then my grandma falls asleep, and we, we stay in the theater for the R version of Saturday Night Fever, and I find out what a rubber is, John, thanks to you. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Boy, a lot of a lot of stuff was happening to you at once. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I know. And you and know what? Theater, where was that Larchmont Theater? I, well, I think I misspoke because I believe there was no theater in Larchmont proper. I believe we had to go over to either uh, New Rochelle, I believe. I, yeah, it was New Rochelle. We had to drive over to uh, to see the movies uh, there because Larchmont itself did not have a theater. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, and then it led you to what? So that leads me to to, uh, to adult content in Saturday Night Fever, which blew me away because I was a fan of Richard Pryor already. I was way, I was into that stuff way before. Obviously, I had to have a conversation wow. with my parents about what a prophylactic was and why a man would need to carry one and then how it was inappropriate for me to go up to girls in my school and go, I don't want to make it with you no more because you're a pig. <laughs> I, I guess girls don't like to hear that in fifth grade, John. <laughs> Boy, I don't know if I was a good influence. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, those roles alone, had your career come to a crashing halt, and I think I can speak for America when I say I'm glad it did not, but had, the, had it come to a halt for you there, you would have been Vinnie Barbarino, Tony frickin' Monero, and Danny freaking Zuko. Those three roles alone are the kind of roles that actors dream of. What was your mindset at the time? And kind of describe to me what it felt like to play those three unbelievable roles. Well... And not knowing that they would become iconic uh, at all, really. And I was just, uh, other than being familiar with the success Greece had on Broadway, which I experienced, um, I did not know that this would be an ongoing uh, statement of, of, of my, uh, my, my presence. So, uh, you know, that being said, I was very proud of the idea that, you know, the only thing I could compare it to is, you know, uh, before I was born, uh, before my career, James Dean had uh, East of Eden and uh, uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, yep, Rebel Without a Cause, and then Giant. Yep. So to me, it felt like Saturday Fever, Grease, and Urban Cowboy were those three movies. It, it had that kind of impact. So um, I was kind of proud that I could repeat history in a certain way, 
that I had grown up with watching another person uh, achieve, if you will. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of my feeling. I was I was pretty, you know, a, a dream had come true that that my manager and I had, had dreamed that that I would become a film actor, but but a significant one. Uh, and but who knew it would be iconic? You know, there's a difference um, between uh, you know kind of arriving. And then, then it kind of having a permanent, uh, a permanent impression. So I was proud of that. You know, very proud. Yeah, as well you should be. By the way, we need to mention the meet and greet is this Saturday at the Mid Florida Amphitheater. It's going to be an unbelievable time. I got my tickets with my son who played Eugene in his high school production of Grease. Tried out for Danny, didn't quite make it, but he, he's so excited. He couldn't believe that I was going to get to talk to you tonight. And I, to be quite frank with you. I can't quite believe it either. This is still a dream come true. Um, when your manager comes to you and he says, I've got a movie like Urban Cowboy, okay? You've played these roles like Tony and Danny and all that. And he comes to you and he goes, you're going to be Bud, okay? And Deborah Winger's going to be Sissy. And you're going to be trying to ride a mechanical bull down at Gillies. W- w- did you immediately take to that and trust your manager? Or were you like, um, I think we may have made a misstep here? Oh, no, no. I was all over that because it was a very important filmmaker, James Bridges, and a very important writer um, that ca- uh, collectively came up with this based on a New York Magazine article like Saturday Fever was. So I felt it was perfect and oddly enough, or not oddly, but un- un- unusually uh, for someone in my position who grew up in the New York area, my brother-in-law was a cowboy. So I actually was familiar with Wyoming cowboys in this, of course, this is Texas, but there's very little difference in the, the tonality or the behavior. So I I was thrilled to emanate something I never dreamed I would be able to emanate. But all I had to do was recall my times on the ranch with with those guys and how they spoke and what they thought and how they thought and all that good stuff. So I was very uh, welcoming of that opportunity to be someone so distinctly different Uh than uh, uh, than Tony or or Danny, yeah, or Vinny. I get that an abrupt departure, if you will. And the film was so damn good that not only did I see it in the theater, but I bought the soundtrack. I still remember it had Orange Blossom Special on there, "Looking for Love" by Johnny Lee, and of course, "The Devil Went Down to Georgia" by uh, by the Charlie Daniels Band. And I think there was a resurgence of uh, I don't think it was quite called line dancing yet, but country bars started to pop o- uh, up over all over the U.S. And I dare say Bud and Sissy might have been a little bit of an inspiration for that. Well, I'm, I was told at that time by Time and Newsweek magazine that I had boosted the boot sales. I'd uh, put uh, uh, mechanical bulls in bars, and uh, blue jeans went through the ceiling. And uh, that that a lot of, that, that they were were reflecting on Urban Cowboy as the primary force behind that, which I again was very proud of. And uh, a little did I know that would turn into a kind of historical piece of uh, of film. You know? I do, uh, and I'm going to take a step back before I take a step forward because I don't know how I'm going to contain my excitement over, in my opinion, the greatest film ever made, Pulp Fiction. But I'm going to take a step back to Greece since we're here to talk about the meet in Greece on Saturday night. That movie, sure. I, I don't know how, as I think I'm 11, 12 years old when that comes out, 
and I don't know, I hadn't been to high school yet, I don't know what love is yet, I don't know what you would be doing under a dock with a young lady from Australia, but something something about that movie, your chemistry with Olivia Newton-John, the transformation of Look at Me, I'm Sandra D to Sandy in that tight outfit, and that such a resonant movie that made it cool to like musicals, the songs, it's so perfect that you're doing a sing-along because from We Go Together to Grease Lightning to Hopelessly Devoted to You, Stranded at the Drive-In, all those magnificent songs. What was that like for you finding out, you know, it's a successful Broadway production. Uh, tell me how that came to pass that you uh, you you played the role of Danny Zuko and you and Olivia had such magical screen chemistry. Well, firstly, not only did I have this love affair with that movie, uh, I'm sorry, with that Broadway show and road company that I was immersed in the familiarity with the piece. And then when I had the opportunity, which was a daydream of mine, to do the movie, um, I had was in a position where I could choose, uh, or at least minimally help choose, the leading lady. And I kept on, much like Quentin Tarantino insisted that I do Pulp Fiction, I insisted that Olivia do Grease and made a big point of it and would not let up until I said, look, guys, it's pretty simple. She's the biggest female singer in the world. She's gorgeous. She's every guy's dream of what a girlfriend should be like. And I said, she's perfect for Sandy. This is a a natural, you know, this is, this is, there's, look no further. And it was really getting her to, uh, convincing her to do it that was a little more work than convincing (laughs) anyone else. How'd you get her to do it? I went to her house and I kind of uh, pleaded that at least do a screen test and see what it's like. She was a little gun shy for some reason, and uh, she did the screen test. She liked her screen test. She thought it was it was pretty good and that she could do it, and she acquiesced uh, after that. And um, the rest was history. And I, you know, was utterly uh, proud of insisting on her because I think empirically it's. it's it's the truth, you know, that yeah. she, no one could have done it better than her. No one could have done it better than either one of you. And tickets are available for the meet and grease at LiveNation.com. There is, a, you're encouraged to come dressed as your favorite character from Greece. This is a special sing along. There's going to be open up to an intimate Q and A with John and Olivia and the director uh, afterwards. And now we've arrived at the point. Oh, by the way, the soundtrack for Greece, unreal, like a double album unfolded into a Rydell High School yearbook. The experience of listening to that, and I'm sure you remember what it was like to listen to vinyl and to look at record album jackets and the lyrics on the sleeves and all that. That whole immersive experience was so great for a preteen Drew Garabo, and I have to thank you for that, among so many other things. That The music and the movie went together so perfectly, John. Well, thank you, and, and I'm with you on that. I grew up having a love affair with listening to an album and looking at the, the cover of the album and reading the lyrics or the story behind the songs and 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 i think greece and saturday fever were the epitome of of that era of of being able to do that so i I agree with you there yeah t-birds will be with us on on that night too in tampa the the guys who played the t-bird they're going to join us as well that's great. Sunny duty, I'd imagine. No, just going by memory here, of course. Uh, now, b- bef- before we launch into the greatest film ever made, Pulp Fiction, uh, did they ask you to do Grease 2? Did they come to you and go, hey, we got this idea for a sequel, and you said, mm, 
I'm good on that one. Or did they just go right to, I don't know why I remember his name, Maxwell Caulfield, and say, we're going to create a cool rider out of you and make a sequel to this classic film? No, they did that all on their own, and they never really came to us on that, um, which I was shocked by because um, I I thought it didn't make sense that they didn't want to. I don't know if I would have acquiesced or not. It would have really depended on where they wanted to take it because um, no idea was presented. So um, I think history proved that, you know, Greece is a, a classic on its own and and that uh, that you kind of don't mess with the original recipe. <laughs> we definitely learned that. Where did Danny and Sandy take off to? I mean, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film and you're listening right now. Where did Danny and Sandy take off to in the car at the end of the movie? Uh, well, that's Stairway to Heaven. That's <laughs> <laughs> that love fest in the sky. <laughs> of course, how silly of that is. <laughs> yeah, silly, right? <laughs> There's a lady who's sure. All right, so, <laughs> so. A couple of years, John, John does some movies. You know, I, Look Who's Talking was fantastic. I loved it. A lot of people loved it. There's a filmography that exists there, and I'm not saying it's insignificant, but for me... Quentin Tarantino is a guy who put together an unbelievable cast in Reservoir Dogs and created the type of film that had not previously existed. That film noir, gangster, crisp dialogue, disjointed directing. And when I heard that he had tapped you to play Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction, I was beside myself. I could not believe that my favorite actor was going to be paired up with my favorite director. And I'm sure you have a tremendous amount of gratitude in your heart. I don't want to say he resuscitated your career because it didn't need resuscitating, but he definitely rejuvenated you a little bit maybe and gave you uh, just grease lightning once again to explode on the scene. Tell me about that moment in your life when you and Quentin were discussing the role of Vincent Vega. Well, he definitely reintroduced me to the higher echelon of scripts uh, that, that I had been missing. So I was utterly appreciative of that. But at the moment that he offered it to me, I viewed it as as kind of a, a tiny movie, Reservoir dog esque if you will, where I didn't really imagine that it would uh, move out of just a a kind of cult following type thing. Um, I never imagined that it could be the massive commercial hit that it had become. So I was entertaining it just like two dudes that are going to do some interesting uh, film together, uh, along with great great, uh, actors. Uh, But um, I didn't know what to expect from it. I did uh, have a lot of ideas about kind of balancing the grotesqueness of certain scenes that were uh, maybe needed to be balanced with humor, you know, uh, and that's my expertise. Uh, so, you know, Quentin at one point said, I didn't know I made a comedy, but I needed, I felt I needed to make certain scenes uh, funny to balance the violence in them or the, you know, the sometimes grotesque effect. Um and that worked. I think that it helped the movie. So I think we were simpatico. We were meaning we were agreeable, agreeable to my approach on the movie. And, and he let me free to basically interpret that guy exactly how I wanted to interpret him. He never interfered and he did a beautiful job of supporting in a very brave thing to do. But he also, I, my understanding is that he chose me because he felt that I was an unpredictable actor and he meant that as a compliment, meaning he didn't. He was always surprised at 
the choices I made in any given role, and he thought that was kind of interesting to allow that to happen in that movie, to, to let it be a little unpredictable. Um, and uh, I loved him for that. I loved him for, for believing in me at that, that level and trusting, you know. Yeah, and you carried yourself as Vincent Vega with this unbelievable code of not messing with big man's wife, but at the same time allowing yourself to kind of simmer in that undeniable chemistry that existed between Vincent and Mrs. Mia Wallace. When you worked with Uma, how how was that experience? Because I think she's a tremendously underrated actress. Uh, what, what was that experience like, and how did you two kind of realize that chemistry that existed between the two? Two of you. Well, I was very excited um, to have uh, Uma as my co-star, like I was with Olivia in Greece. I, I felt that that we would really work well together. I had loved her from even from um, the um, the. Anyway, the point is, is that I, I I felt it right away, and when we started rehearsing together, I even felt it more. And the reason I and why I say that is that when you're so comfortable playing your part because you trust that the other person's going to be playing their part and you're not worried about their performance, you're, you're able to uh, meld together with, with a trust of performance. And I think that's what happened with us. We just, you know, really dug how each other was uh, interpreting that dialogue and those roles. And we had so much undercurrent to play, you know, here I am scared out of my wit, but higher than crap to to take her on a date and anything I do or say could be misinterpreted. Yep. And yet I'm still trying to be cool, but I'm still feeling the buzz and all these things were great things to play as she was so fascinated with my withdrawal from her, you know, my my intimidation by her. She was like a cat trying to figure out what this mouse was all about. It, it had so much innate um, color uh, to it um, to play. Um, so um, I don't know. It's a, it a beautiful organic journey that we we went on. That uh, again, Quentin really uh, guided us, but let us let us be. You know. So John Travolta, you finish filming Pulp Fiction. You then probably get to watch the movie, like a lot of people do. And and I saw it the first three weeks it came out. I watched it each weekend in the theater because I knew it was the type of th- movie that you want to see in the movie theater. So you f- see the final product. A lot of people, the disjointed timeline really throws them off. When you watched it for the first time, what was your takeaway? Well, of course. Um I was familiar with the disjointed timeline. Sure. So um, I saw it for the first time at the Cannes Film Festival on this gigantic screen, the biggest screen I'd ever seen. And uh, I was really balled over by it because of its uniqueness and because I was so proud that my my imagined character came to fruition right before my eyes on screen. It was everything I wanted it to be, maybe more. Uh, meaning that when I was playing the heroine and I was playing the uh, the dubious uh, things that were going on, uh, I, I I didn't realize how well they were unfolding and, and what a perfect arc that they were unfolding. So it's one of those things where you invest in uh, a movie, but you don't know if your investment's going to pay off. It was paying off in spades every scene 
was better than the next one. And I was so happy about the outcome. So that was my impression when I sat in France watching it for the first time. Yeah, and it won the Candor that year, and you are so pivotal in that because it's not just your chemistry with Uma, it's you with Samuel L. Jackson, it's you with Bruce Willis, it's you uh, it's you with everybody, Eric Stoltz, for crying out loud, in that film. And I have to say, thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving me a favorite movie, although there is a downside, John Travolta, and that is that I have had an unnatural disdain for the movie Forrest Gump and the actor Tom Hanks ever since they won Best Picture over over Pulp Fiction in 1994. Can you give me any advice in getting over that? Because if anyone would take it personally, I would think it would be Quentin Tarantino and or John Travolta. Yet I, because I treasure that movie so much, every time I see Tom Hanks now, I'm, I'm, I'm in a fit of rage. Well, I love you for saying that and never get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could if I wanted to. And I will remind people once again, meet and grease. Uh, it will be this Saturday night at the Mid-Florida Amphitheater. Now, John Senning is a younger guy than I am, but he's been waiting this whole time very patiently. Thank you, John Senning, to ask John Travolta about working with one of his icons. And I'm going to silently gag while he asks you this question, Mr. Travolta. John, it's okay. great. It's great to hear your voice. And one one of the many, we, Drew and I disagree on many things, most of them musical. I hold Limp Biscuit in very high regard. I absolutely love their music, and I am fascinated that you worked so closely with Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit. Can you talk a little bit about how the movie Fanatic came together and what that initial uh, sure. conversation with Fred Durst was about? Well, I had met Fred vis-a-vis Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Baltazar Getty when I'd done uh, Ladder 49, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And uh, we got along quite well at this uh, party. And um, he said he was interested in uh, doing film, and we met about that. And he said, one day I'd love to submit something that I find, if you'd consider. He said, because film is my real passion, and I use music as a segue to get there. And I said, sure. So, of course, many, many years later, but he submits the script to me. And I loved it. I, I thought that he killed it, as long, and with his partner as well, um, in the writing of it. And I had a take on it, I had an idea how to play it. And because of his passion, was so it reminded me of Quentin's passion of film, I just had this confidence that he would do a good job. And he showed me a short that he had done that was excellent, about a, a pastor and a, 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 an evangelist, rather. And it was so effective that I... I just decided that this was a good chance to take, and um, I did it, and 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 we got along fabulously, and uh, improvised a lot to get me in the zone of the character, and it turned out to be quite a successful thing for me to do with him and take that chance. Mm, that's not the answer I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so what you said is Quentin Tarantino, Fred Durst, pretty much in the same. same Shut group your mouth. There. He <laughs> didn't say that. You're putting words in Mr. Travolta's mouth, and that's disgusting that you would even imply that, John Senning. What I meant was that he has the same enthusiasm for film and, and that he had shown me something that he he actually uh, did that was effective. And I thought he could probably pull this off, you know, yeah. well, and he did. Well, we've taken up a half hour of your time, believe it or not, and I know you've got more, way more important stuff to do than talk to me, but if you're ever in Clearwater, we're right up the road a little bit, maybe 15, 20 minutes, and uh, we'd, lo- we'd love to have oh, you in the... Man. Dude, don't, well, don't, don't toy my, with me. You're, you're my new... You're my new favorite, so I, I have to come visit you at some point. Um, I, this was an absolute love letter 
tonight. Don't you toy with me, Travolta. I've talked to some of my idols, uh, and we were talking about this before the interview. Uh, me, uh, meeting D from DMC from Run DMC was huge for me because I was an old-school rap guy. I've talked to uh, many people who I've admired through the years, but none who I've been able to chart my life with their career, and that's exactly what you are, John Travolta. The Grease is, uh, experience on Saturday night, Meet and Grease, is going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to bring my son and see you and Olivia live and do all the sing-along. It has been such an es- extreme pleasure and honor speaking with you, and I hope you will, if you're over in Clearwater, dip over here to St. Petersburg, where we are, and uh, someday it will be an honor to shake your hand and to tell you in person just what you've meant to me throughout my entire life and through your career. So I I wish you a million more blessings, and uh, and thank you so much for uh, for spending time with us. I really appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. And when I see you, I'm going to give you a big hug because this was an absolute uh, uh, wonderful homage to me tonight on this show. And and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, you're happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too, John Travolta. Take care. Have a wonderful night, and all my best to you. All right, you too. Bye bye, buddy. Bye bye. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.